Promise no promises. Ages of receivership. The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further series of episodes devoted to ages of receivership on generous listening. The series emerged from the Spring 2022 Master Symposium at the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, moderated by Chus Martinez and Quinn Latimer, in collaboration with Wuslat Foundation, which focuses its activities on the act of generous listening, hearing beyond words, understanding it as an essential element of each of our connections and constellations. The contributions to the symposium were devoted to forms and ethics of listening and how they are entangled with aspects of poetics, coloniality, gender, spectatorship, critique and non-human worlds. While hearing has, until recently, often been described as a passive act, listening is broadly understood as an active way of engaging with the other, with oneself and with nature. If certain assumptions subscribe listening and storytelling to women and elders, the broadcasted voice is often gendered as male. The talks of this series discuss such ancient and recent ideas about the politics and gender of sound, while addressing listening as a key methodology in reaching goals of political, ecological and artistic equity, from decolonization and democracy building to issues of mental health. This podcast series features talks and performances by Kate Lacey, Ora Zatz, Dylan Robinson, Bill Dietz, Noor Mumbarak, and Jasmina Figueroa. Episode 2, Sirens. Ora Zatz is an artist whose work encompasses film, sound, performance, and sculpture. She has performed, exhibited, and screened her work at Tate Modern London, the 2016 Sydney Biennale, MoMA and Highline Art New York, and Sharia Art Foundation, among other places. Orazetz teaches at the Royal College of Art in London. In her talk, she speaks about her first featured film, called Preemptive Listening, centered on the sound of sirens and emergency signals, and about turning bodies and things into speakers, transducers, antennas, or musical instruments. So I wanted to kind of trace a, a kind of, it's not quite a genealogy, but just the journey um, around concepts of sound and voice and listening. Um, so I thought I'd just speak um, really briefly about, uh, an, I guess it's the first sound piece I made. Um, when I was pregnant um, in 2003, and this piece is called Ventriloqua. And essentially it turned um, the human body into an antenna or a musical instrument. I know we've spoken a little bit about turning other things into speakers or uh, transducers or antennae of sorts. And for me, this piece of Ventriloqua, which means belly speaking, so ventriloqua, was really this key moment of something I'd been pursuing for a while, but actually suddenly I was it. I had this body, I was a container, I had this other being inside of me, and I wasn't really interested in this idea of being like a generative body. It was more um, being a kind of an antenna or a, um, a container of sorts, you know, space for another body to come through, another voice to speak through. 
and to speak to and through and somehow across seemed really important to me and really, um, as I said, I kind of was physically embodying this and um, uh, actually I did check to make sure that I wouldn't harm my unborn child <laughs> before I did this piece and also since then I've reenacted it with different pregnant bellies so that's not actually my belly, that's someone else. Um, but I guess throughout all my works, there's this idea of um, kind of other voices traversing mine or mine kind of tuning into or um, somehow um, being activated in relation to other voices. Um, this was a sound piece that I did based on the dial tone. So um, we don't really have dial tones in the same way now, except for as a busy tone. Um, but obviously back in the day, you'd pick up the phone and uh, there would be this tone that says the lines are open and, you know, women who were um, the kind of, well, the archetypical uh, telephone operator were also called speech weavers, so they connected these different voices. And as I said earlier, they were kind of the, the conduit, you know, so this idea of women, um, women's involvement in early technologies of dislocating the voice or of transmitting the voice or broadcasting the voice has been really important in my thinking. And... Um, I work a lot with musicians and I work very often using kind of spoken word and then composing it or weaving it into a, a kind of piece of audio uh, composition slash music or, or spoken word with a musical sensitivity. And um, for this piece, both Pauline Oliveros, who features quite strongly, I think, in the, the, this session, it's certainly an echo of her concept of deep listening, and Laurie Spiegel, um, were in conversation, so the whole piece was about telephony and about communication, about conversation and connection and tenuous connections, and it featured their music as well, and it was commissioned for the red phone booth, so you went in and you had to pick up this phone and kind of listen or eavesdrop to this conversation. So I'll just play a few moments, but I guess the reason I'm running through these works is because all of them articulate something in the way that I like to think of what sound can do, what listening can do, what voice can manifest um, or agitate. What is a conversation? Three fifty hertz uh, plus four forty hertz. Those are those are the frequencies that are mixed together to give you the dial tone. I think I used the dial tone in some piece of mine. I can't remember when. Uh, now, but it, it it's ringing a bell. <laughs> the dial tone. It ought to sound like an invitation. It's a complex signal, but it's kind of raunchy and ugly. It indicates the potential of a communication because it shows that you have signal, but it also gives time pressure because if you don't do anything for long enough, you get some kind of a message saying that you've dialed a wrong number or there's a miscommunication or that there's something wrong with the line or some kind of a message saying, time's up. From the time we're born, we're optimized for speech. And um, so that our attention then is focused 
toward learning to communicate, you know, and learning the sounds of communication, which is speech. There's another kind of attention, which is is um, what I call global or inclusive attention, where you be, you include um, as much sound as you can uh, and understand the field of sound and understand place or, uh, or environment or where you are uh, while you're maybe busy communicating. <laughs> maybe just to kind of reiterate around this piece, um, the starting point was the dial tone, and that really opened up to where I'm going now, which is this idea of there is a series of sonic signals out in the world within technology, within social cues, etc., that have a very um, supposedly stable semantic code. We understand them to mean something. And really what I'm interested in doing across all my work, I think, is taking a kind of recalibration or recomposition approach, retuning, this is really important to me and um, I think often it's about kind of rewriting or rewiring how we understand some of these sounds and how we might give them new meanings. So obviously the dial tone is the starting point for thinking around listening and attention um, and connection. Um, and then lastly, again, I'm just kind of talking through earlier works that kind of help articulate uh, my thinking. Um, this is a film I made about the uh, Argentinian, France-based uh, composer Beatriz Ferreira, who was very much involved with early music concrete. And she's describing her technique for making sound recordings. And really, what I'm trying to do quite often with these projects is, is convey uh, a portrait of a kind of listening. It's like, instead of getting under the skin, I'm trying to get into the ear. And I really like this because I feel that there's a sense in which certain practices of listening have a lot to teach us. They really open. So when I, when I seek out someone to collaborate with, really there's a kind of yearning or trying to reach something that I can't do alone. And I feel very grateful because many a time something in the process of making this project yields something that I hold on to and I carry forward, which is, I guess, the genealogy I'm offering you today. So this is just um, the opening scene of this film where Beatrice um, explains how to listen to a door. And what I found really powerful about it is rather than it just being like, okay, a door is open or shut, it's a binary, she kind of plays with the creak and it's like she opens up this bandwidth of a little bit like what Pauline was saying around kind of global versus focal listening. So you're not necessarily just listening to the signal, you're listening to the space around it, those kind of edges or thresholds of noise and signal. Um, so I'll just play this bit because again, it's like a, it's a perfect metaphor um, that's really um, uh, kind of playfully enacted as well. Mira todas las cosas que hace niño, wow, wow, y se paró. Estoy iterativo. No puedo parar ahí. Le di una forma. Otra formita. 
Ahora una trama variada. Continua, con variaciones. Bueno, esa es una toma de sonido, esa es una grabación personal. Otra persona hará otra cosa. Por eso es que es tan importante las, la, la, las grabaciones, porque cada compositor tiene su manera de... A lo mejor a alguien no le interesa nada esta puerta. Yo no sé lo que voy a hacer con ella, pero un día quizás necesito ese sonido para hacer no sé qué qué. O sea que al mismo tiempo somos este, chasseurs de son. Un día dice, eh, somos... este cazadores de sonido. So that brings me to where I'm at now, and actually it's not quite chronological because I move back and forth, but um, I've been thinking around the siren for a very long time, and I've been approaching it from multiple perspectives. Um, so this is a sound sculpture I did, which is five different hand-wound sirens mounted um, with different RPM, different rotations. So I kind of was trying to dissect the siren sound and it became a musical instrument that can be used differently. So again, when I talk about uh, a kind of rewiring um, or retuning or recalibrating, really what I'm talking about is like, how can we, I'm, I'm trying through my practice both to enact myself and also encourage my listeners, viewers, to listen differently and, um, I've made a series of drawings focused on hands of women, um, electronic music composers on dials. And I really like that idea of a kind of circuit between the ear and the hand, and this kind of experimental listening. When you're listening, you don't know what you're listening out for. Um, so it's a kind of different, it's a, it's a very specific kind of listening that I'm trying to open up where things are maybe defamiliarized or rendered, um, someone used the word descans or obliquely, um, differently. But um, I'm going to move on to kind of my film. It's still a pitch, because I don't have all the funding <laughs> for it. But I have been doing it gradually in a modular way um, with little segments um, here and there. And uh, I actually have a lot of the sound and some of the footage, and I'm getting there. Um, so preemptive listening is essentially a film around the sound of sirens and emergency signals. And really what I'm interested in doing is taking the siren, much like I took the dial tone, and recomposing it, thinking about it differently. And um, I suppose in many ways the project uh, is diagnostic, so it analyzes this moment, and I know that this came up earlier in Kate's talk, and maybe it will come up later again, 
that we're in a crisis of attention, you know, our capacity for focused attention is in disarray. And within this, so nested within the crisis of attention, the siren is in itself a, in a state of um, transformation, transition. And um, yeah, within the kind of uh, current acoustic ecology, you know, the world is very cacophonous. There's this kind of um, lack of attention to acoustic design. And so everything is beeping, you know, for whatever reason, people seem to think that sound is a good uh, kind of uh, attention caller. Um, so if you don't wear a seatbelt, then the car beeps, the microwave beeps when things are ready and so forth. And so as the world is getting louder, everything is kind of ramping it up within this cacophony. And so it's actually, um, Kind of within that, the siren is not a very efficient sound. Like obviously, it came. Um, I guess it was invented uh, slightly earlier, but then was like properly used in World War One, World War Two, and the Cold War. So on the one hand, it's this kind of relic that we have, and this sonic signifier that indicates war. In urban spaces, we obviously have you know ambulances and police cars that are kind of uh, emergency vehicles that are also kind of parting the way, saying you know attention, make way. Um, but in many ways, the siren, if we do hear it, we might not understand its call. Um, obviously, this is context dependent, so um, clearly people in Ukraine now are understanding the siren in a way that maybe they didn't last month. Um, but there is a sense, I think, more generally, certainly since I started working on this project, uh, I kind of came up with the inkling of an idea in 2016, so I've been kind of working through it in, in uh, spiraling depth. <laughs> and the world seems to speak to it in one way or another. So, um, you know, since I thought of it, um, I kind of thought I was going through some sort of PTSD because I really felt that my internal soundtrack was the siren. And then I realized that I'm actually tuning into a kind of wider sentiment. And obviously we had Brexit, we've had Trump, we've had, um, you know, climate catastrophe, and the pandemic, now war. Um, so it feels like we've really kind of internalized it in every possible way. And it is both a physical, literal reality as much as a metaphor. And so the project on the one hand is diagnostic in this way. So it's a kind of documentary of sorts of different sirens in different parts of the world. And they all, um, wherever they're placed, they kind of speak to different qualities of different frameworks of emergency. Um, so I have different, um, because I've been shooting a lot of stuff during the pandemic uh, remotely, I have um, sirens. This is a really wonderful one from um, America, which is called a thunderbolt, which um, spins. Um, as I was saying earlier, there's a sense in which, just like the ambulance or the police uh, siren, you know, it, it does have a clear function, but that function is also elastic or kind of multi multitasking. Um, and similarly, similarly, a lot of sirens are actually original relics from a different time frame that have now been repurposed to speak to, for example, this one, um, climate change or climate catastrophe, rather. So the other kind of diagnostic element is also how are we listening? So do we listen in the, pu in the public sphere collectively? Are we still able to listen in that way? And I think we can agree that in general that space has been eroded. People are using headphones or um, you know, noise-canceling headphones even. So we're not really attuned to listening together in that way. Um, and actually I've been speaking to mobile app developers and other people. We are more attuned to 
our phones vibrating, so to a kind of haptic kind of listening, than necessarily to like a big loud noise out in the public sphere. So these transitions are kind of happening anyway. But beyond that, there's also a sense in which the siren is speaking to a concept of emergency which we need to break free from and kind of reconceptualize. So, um, but I guess, yeah, the, the film is really addressing um, a few questions that are all kind of um, very closely interwoven. One is, how can we counter alarm fatigue? So we are exhausted from the siren sound on all fronts, metaphorically and literally. What can we do to counter it? And part of the project, the project's intention in recalibrating, retuning, recomposing is to try and think differently around it. Um, it's also kind of trying to, you know, musically think, well, does an alarm have to be alarming? You know, can we think of different kinds of sound signals? And um, I think it was Chus earlier on who said, like, our state of receivership affects the kind of response that we, we give, you know, the kind of way that we respond to um, whatever the prompt is. And I really feel that with the siren, I know it's uh, speculative, you know, it's a kind of poetic, imaginative experiment, but it's also not because there are ways in which sirens do need to be redesigned. And if we listen to um, the compositions, I've got about 15 of them so far, um, including the one that you heard earlier by Mazen, you know, it's almost like a score, like an instructional fluxus score. You know, it says, listen to the next sound as if it were a siren. And immediately, yes, you might listen to it like music. You also will listen to it as like it's a signal that's telling me something. Just as you're perfectly able to attune to your phone vibrating or, you know, your animal or your baby, you know, making very small sounds. You can easily rewire your attention to be focused on very small sounds. It doesn't have to be loud and, and blaring in that way. Um, so I'll just skip this bit, but I guess it's, it's mostly around how different forms of emergency are very closely intertwined, so like climate uh, catastrophe, uh, refugee crisis leading on to kind of, um, uh, you know, questions around contested borders and immigration and so forth. So the project is hugely ambitious, but also things are very closely intertwined and interconnected. Um, what I was saying earlier in connection to emergency frame frameworks and the way in which we don't just need to revise what the siren uh, sounds like, um, and I guess maybe just to rewind a little bit, what I'm interested in doing is thinking of the siren's um, very basic meaning. So not what it sounds like, what we've inherited that sound as, but what does a siren do? And at a very basic level, I identify it as a siren is a call to attention, and once it's got your attention, it's a call to action. And so, again, following on this idea of receivership, you know, what is the call, and then what is the subsequent action? And I'm not making huge claims for the work, although <laughs> I'd like to think of solutions in that way, but I, I feel like the project is, is polyvocal, polyphonic, in the ways that I'm trying to address different forms of um, identifying what, whose voice is calling out for attention and also what kind of responses we might think about um, and enact. And so when I was saying earlier that the siren is also um, kind of uh, inefficient in some ways, not just acoustically, not just in terms of how it operates in the public sphere, in terms of our capacity to receive it, our capacity to hear it and take it in, 
but also in terms of how we understand emergency more generally. And I think um, you know, all the fires that we had quite recently, where everyone was talking about you know, this sense of you know, the world is burning, but really the kind of archetypical siren is you know, uh, a sound um, that is in response to an identifiable symptom and then uh, some kind of preemptive action. So, you know, I've listed it here, uh, what is it? Smoke and then fire and then fire alarm and then fire extinguisher and some kind of um, reparative action. But really, as we can all see, I think someone was saying it's snowing in Athens and here it's meant to be 20 degrees, you know, the way in which we start to understand things shouldn't be the singular incidental, it should be a kind of wider overview. And the reason I shot footage in Fukushima, so this is actually a fire station in Fukushima, which overlaps those two time frames, is that you know you have on the one hand with Fukushima or Chernobyl, um, this kind of deep, deep violence into the future that's almost unimaginable. So. How do we warn our distant future? And this is a kind of conceptual conundrum. I don't have an answer, and maybe sound isn't the way. <laughs> but there are definitely futurologists and kind of storytellers, science fiction writers that are at the service of um, nuclear uh, waste containment uh, companies because they're trying to imagine what's the future scenario, not just 50 years from now, but like 300 years, 1,000 years from now. How are we going to warn people not to go and disinter like toxic waste because it will take much longer than that to, to um, stop being toxic. So this, this is kind of another question in the film that as I say is more speculative, but like can we reconceptualize what we understand as emergency? And um, yeah, so I guess there's kind of um, three main registers and one I've just talked about a lot is the diagnostic. And then the second is propositional. So really I'm trying with different musicians to try and imagine different siren sounds, to put forward a kind of propositional approach. It might sound like, sound like this, or it might sound you know, very quiet, it might sound very rousing, it might be very um, uh, kind of grieving. You know? There's different ways in which the sound can be quite uh, a quick shortcut to a certain emotional state and a certain level of communication. So I have a, a new siren sound actually composed by the Japanese uh, sound artist and musician Fujita, and it's using insect sounds. And again, it's thinking around like other sound signals like from the non-human world. How might they be, if we think of the siren, a call to attention and a call to action? And um, I suppose, yeah, the project is also speaking to these different ways of conceptualizing what is the sound signal or the signal more generally. So someone I was talking to in relation to this project was saying, is a bleached uh, coral reef a siren? You know, what is this, what, how do we understand a signal for distress and how do we respond to it? So through the different propositional approaches with different musicians, I'm trying to unpack that and, and, and question it and see if maybe there's a kind of different way of reconceptualizing it. Um, this is quite a nice site I've identified in America, which is a siren cemetery, so like a junkyard for sirens. And I also really like this idea because on the one hand, I'm tapping into something that is potentially on its way towards obsolescence, but actually, of course, it's not. And during the pandemic, I read, and especially now, actually, with the war, I've read of 
tons of different countries that had maybe decommissioned their sirens, and now they're kind of testing them again, reawakening them, making sure that they are prepared. Um, so there's a really interesting way in which the siren speaks to notions of both the past and the future. The siren faces towards the future and kind of says this is a, a disaster that may or may not happen and can be averted if we have a warning in time. Yeah, I guess some of the different people that I've approached, um, I've kind of thought of them in relation to different sound qualities that they've already made or maybe something inherent to their practice that already speaks to this. So um, Mazen Kerbaj, who you heard in the opening film, um, he was in uh, Beirut during the Israeli bombing in 2006, and he's a trumpet improviser, and he went out onto the terrace and played this amazing piece of music that was kind of listening to the city being bombed and car alarms going off. And you could really hear in his playing there's a sense of defiance and a sense of listening and a kind of um, call and response, a kind of countering this sound. And it just, it was so powerful and so touching. And it went viral, I think it's called Starry Night, so if you want to look it up. Um, and so I knew that he would be somehow attuned to this project, that there would be a starting point for a conversation. And so when I said earlier, like through Ventriloquo or the dial tone piece or the piece of Beatrice, like very often I'm inviting other people in to the project because I can't imagine this project on my own. I have to do it in a more kind of open weave, as it were. As it were. And, um, and I often feel very grateful because without those other voices, like I probably wouldn't get to that point, like you know, thinking around insects. Or Jana Winderen, who's about to make some sirens with the sounds of, of the sea. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Gender Center for Excellence, a research project of the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel, conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of gender in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit detank.ch or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk.fhnw.ch. Editing and voiceover, Elena Cesar. Music, Niklas Kammermeier. Research team, Tabea Rutfuchs and Marion Ritzmann. Press and communication, Anna Franke. Technical support by Esther Hunziger, Karin Bohrer, Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. Copyright at Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW 2022.